Chapter Eleven of the Heart's Kingdom by Maria Thompson Davis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Eleven, A Bit of Raw Life. I don't know by what means of personal transportation my body was carried down the street to the public square and to the pavement in front of the courthouse but I found myself standing there over a woman who had raised Gregory Goodloe's head on her arm and was drawing deep, hard sobs as she held a handkerchief to stanch a flow of blood that showed crimson in the flash from Nicole's electric cigar-lighter. "'When men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake,' I quoted to myself softly as I stood and looked down on the prostrate figure of the big light-hoppeth jaguar, while Billy struggled with a man a little way off in the darkness, and Nicole's shot off the light and went to his aid. I didn't know exactly where the words that froze so suddenly from my heart to my lips had come from, and I only vaguely understood them, but I seemed to be saying them without my own volition. "'Yes, my God, yes, that's what they've done to him,' sobbed Martha, as she looked up, peering at me through the darkness. Pa is drunk, Miss Charlotte, and the rest egged him on. This is the only friend I've got, and they've killed him. Not by a good deal, Martha, came in a hearty grand opera voice, just as I dropped on my knee, and in time to stop me from taking that bleeding gold head on my own breast, and— Jacob's bullet just clipped me, but its impact was as good as his fist would have been, which I wish he had used. And as he spoke, the wounded parson sprang lithely to his feet, and left us two women kneeling before him. In an instant the thought of Mary and the Magdalene flashed through my brain as he bent to raise me to my feet, while Martha crouched away from us in the dark. Charlotte? He questioned softly, as if not willing to believe the witness of his hands and eyes, muffled by the starry darkness. Young Charlotte stones you when Jacob shoots you when I— I both sobbed and laughed as I clung to his hand, just as I heard Billy and Nicole's throw the cursing, panting man to the ground not ten feet away. "'Now then, Parson, we've got Jacob down and out. Nicholls has got his foot on his neck, and I've got his pistol. What do you want done with him?' Billy interrupted me pantingly to demand. "'Let him up,' answered Mr. Goodloe, as he gently extricated himself from my clinging hand and went over to the scene of conflict." had enough jacob he asked just as gently as he had unhanded himself from me i'll have had enough while i put you where you can't entice my girl again answered jacob as he rose slowly to his feet as he spoke billy went and stood beside the parson and nicholls stepped behind them into the shadow in which martha crouched you know that is not true jacob i helped martha to go away to a place of safety to earn her living and keep her honesty. Isn't that so, Martha? The rich voice softly asked the woman, crouching in the dark. I told him that, but he wouldn't believe me, and the others don't. She answered with a sob that was almost a shudder of fear. What did she come back for, then? demanded Jacob. Answer me that. And didn't she go straight to your preaching and praying joint like all the other women, fine and sluts, do? The liquor was still burning in Jacob's head, but at those words he got a response from the impact of Billy's fist that again laid him low. "'Oh, I dasn't say nothing, I dasn't,' moaned Martha, as she clutched at my skirts, 
just as Nell and Hampton began to arrive on the scene of action, followed by Harriet and Mark and the others. They were all panting and wild with anxiety. They had taken the wrong turning at the end of the square and had gone around the block, thus giving the little tragedy time to enact itself before a merciful small audience. "'Go away quickly, Martha, in the shadow.' I bent and whispered to the trembling woman, and I didn't know where the sympathy in my voice came from as I stood between her and the rest, while she slipped behind an old horse block before the courthouse gate and off in the darkness towards the settlement before they had noticed her presence. "'Anybody hurt? What's the matter?' gasped Mark as he seized hold of the Reverend Mr. Goodloe's arm. "'Nothing serious,' answered the parson in a voice that calmed the others like oil on choppy water. "'Jacob Inslee is out on a drunk, and Billy had to knock him down to quiet him. All of you go back to dinner quickly, for I don't see why Sergeant Rogers should get Jacob this time. Billy will help me get him home, and I'll remonstrate with him when he is sober.' I'd rather do it at the last chance than at the jail. Jacob is a leading citizen, and I don't want a jail smirch on him. I intend to use him later. Now all of you go. Go. His voice was as gentle positive as if he had been speaking to a lot of children, and nobody seemed even to think of rebelling, but we all began to fade away into the starlight as rapidly as we had assembled and more quietly. Thank you and bless you he said to me, as I went past him in the darkness, and for just a second I suspected that his hand was laid on my black braids, but I was not sure. I knew the gratitude was for my getting Martha off the scene of action so quietly and swiftly. A bit of raw life for you, Charlotte, Nichols remarked as he went with me through the fragrant night back to Mark's and Nell's feast. The eternal girl, two men melee. In this case it was a girl, three men, the third skunking it. I answered in words as coarse and as forcible as the scene I had just witnessed. I'd like to get my bare hands around the throat of the man who is hiding behind Martha and that little child. That remark from you, my dear Charlotte, just goes to show that when women get even the smell of bloodshed they become fiercer than the male, said Nicolte with a cool laugh that further infuriated me. Yes, I do feel like a female jaguar, I answered hotly, and then collapsed inside, at the use of that name for myself, in conjunction with my secret title for the Reverend Mr. Goodloe. It would be better if you felt yourself in the character of a ferret, if you intend to go out on a still hunt for all unacknowledged paternity, even in dear, simple, little old Goodlets. Nicole's further jeered, as we came up the steps of the Morgan house from where the others were just going into the dining-room, to resume their eating and drinking and being merry. I'll find that one man, I answered, as I swept into the dining-room, seated myself in my place, and drained my glass of flat wine. "'Heaven help him!' laughed Nicole's wickedly, and he raised Mr. Goodloe's full glass as he slipped into his place beside me. For a week after the shooting-fray my soul sulked darkly in its tent, and meditated while I went on my usual gay rounds of self-enjoyment. The garden was being brought to a most glorious mid-August triumph, and the inhabitants for miles around were coming to see it. All of father's old friends, from whom he had shrunk in the last year, hung around him in the old way. He sat with them under the old grey-beard poplars, around which had been planted a plantation of slim young larches by the wizard of white plains. From discussions about gardening and Americanism, all the old solons of the local bar, 
and even of the towns around, gradually led their fallen leader back into his place, and were battling with him over politics and jurisprudence, as they had in past days. The day I went into his library to ask father about employing another likely black garden-boy that Dabney had discovered, and found him, Judge Monfort from over at Hillcrest in the third district, Mr. Cockrell and Mr. Sproul around his table, deep in huge volumes from the shelves, buried in a cloud of tobacco-smoke and argument in which Latin words flew back and forth, I went up to my room and stood helpless before my window, looking out towards Paradise Ridge. "'I want to thank somebody, and there is nobody to thank,' I whispered, with a great emptiness within me. That was the bitterest cry of need my heart had ever given forth, and I went swiftly down to Nicole's in the garden, and told him what I had seen and heard. "'It really is a remarkable comeback, sweetheart,' he said, with the most exquisite sympathy in his voice and face. "'Mark Morgan told me just an hour ago that they want to have him appointed back to his old place on the bench.' and Mr. Cockrell answered the President's inquiry for a man from this section for the Commerce Commission with the judge's name. It'll be great to see the old boy on one of the seats of the mighty again, thanks to the sweat of his brow and mind in this village manifestation of American nationalism, which has grown out of our little old garden plan. What can a man or woman do to render gratitude, if there seems to be nobody to take it, Nichols? I asked him, not expecting, as usual, that he would understand me. For once he did. The philosophies I'll teach hand it on in that case. He answered me. I'll hand it on to Martha Ensley, and help her and her child to their place under the sun. I said slowly, thus by having a reason and an obligation back of it, ratifying the vow I had already taken. That is an impossibility, answered Nicholls with easy coolness. The one comeback that is impossible is the woman in that kind of a situation. I'll never admit such an injustice as that, I said, and I had a queer premonition that I would be held to that declaration. The very next morning, after my declaration of purpose to hand on my father's comeback, I went down into the settlement to hunt for Martha Ensley, not that I was really suffering about her, but because I felt a kind of obligation to begin at once, a thing that it appealed to my sense of justice to accomplish. Sometimes in mid-August there comes down a night over the hot, lush, maturing Harpeth Valley, which is like a benediction that sprinkles cool dew on a thirsting heart. And now the morning was cool and brilliant, with the sun evaporating the heavy dew in soft clouds of perfume from the grain fields, the meadows, and the upturned soil out where the farmers were breaking ground after the first harvesters. I felt strong and calm, and full of an electric energy, which I found I needed before I had more than started my quest. I put on my tennis clothes, snowy from colour to shoe-tips, like the trappings of the white knight, and started to walk down into the settlement to find Martha. I intended to stop at Mother Spurlock's little house beside the road, and some vague idea was in my mind of having her dispatch a messenger to summon Martha to the interview I was about to bestow upon her. That is not the way it all happened, and I was hot and dusty and sweat-drenched before I had been on my quest more than a few hours. Mother Elsie was not at home. The door to the little house was wide open, as it always is when cold or rain does not close it, and huge old tabby with one eye purred on the doorstep in the sun. A bird was nesting in the wisteria vine above the door, 
and her soft wearing bespoke an interesting domestic event as near at hand. It did not in the least disturb Tab, and I wondered at the harmony between traditional enemies that I met on Mother Spurlock's very doorstep. I went in and drew myself a drink of fresh cool water from the cistern at the back door, looked in a tin box over the kitchen table, and took three crisp tea-cakes therefrom. I picked up a half-knitted sock from beside the huge split rocker in the shade of the gnarled old apple-tree, which was a roof-tree in every sense of the word, for it crowded close against the door, and hovered in the whole tiny house. Just before I left I put all the loose change I had in my white linen skirt pocket in an old lequired tea-canister, which had a slit in it cut with a can-opener, and that stood on the shelf of the old rock-chimney in the low living-room. I had never heard that canister mentioned by Mother Spurlock, and I don't know how I knew that out of it came the emergency funds for many a crisis in the settlement. Then last I picked a blush rose from the monthly bloomer, trailing up and over the window, and laid it on the empty worn-old Bible, on the wide arm of the rocker, beside a pair of horn-rimmed spectacles. Then I hesitated. I had been so sure of finding Mother Spurlock at home, and having her hunt down Martha for me, that I found it difficult to adjust myself to my first complexity of plans. And while I hesitated, a resolve came into my mind with the completeness of a spoken direction. She lives at the last chance, and I'll go right down there and find her, I said to myself, as I started along the peony-bordered path to the front gate of the little house, over which a huge late snowball was drooping, loaded down with snowy balls that would hold their own until almost a time for frost. At my own decision I had a delicious little feeling of fear, which was at least justifiable when I thought of that huge drunken figure wrestling with Billy in the darkness, and whom I knew to be the proprietor of the resort into which I had determined to penetrate. Also, from my early youth, I had heard Jacob Ensley and the last chance spoken of in terms of dread disapproval. Before I should become really frightened, I hurried down the hill, past the squalid and tumble-down mill cottages, which I had never really seen before, where it seemed to me millions of children swarmed in and around and about, and at last arrived at the infamous social centre of the settlement. And my astonishment was profound to find that the last chance sign hung over a very prosperous grocery with boxes and barrels of provender out on the pavement, under an awning, and with a huge newly painted screen doors guarding the wide entrance at which I hesitated. Come right in, lady. Come right in, called a cheerful, booming man's voice, and the doors were swung open by a large man in a white apron, with blue eyes that crinkled at the corners, a wide smile and white hair. What can we do for you today? We've a nice lot of late dew breeze in from over on Paradise Ridge. I'm... I'm looking for the... the last chance saloon? I faltered, because I was too astonished to utter anything but the truth to the delightful and tenderly solicitous man, standing before me in his huge, clean white apron, over his blue shirt that matched his eyes. Well, lady... The nice Irish voice faltered a trifle, about as mine had, though plainly with controlled astonishment tinged with amusement. Could I get you anything to... to cool you off and bring it out here in the grocery? It is cooler than it is back at the bar. I said to myself, just last week so I did, I said to myself, Jacob, you ought to get a sody water fountain for the ladies what has the same right to thirst as a man. And I will too if my bad luck just leaves me. 
how about a nice cool bottle of beer sitting comfortable here before the counter are, are you 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 jacob i mean mr jacob ensley i further gasped this daylight materialization of the gruesome beast of the night was too much for me jacob ensley at your service miss he answered with easy dignity now will it be the bottle of beer i shall bring you or there's a new drink i might mix for you that a young gentleman friend of mine from new york has taught me and with the good irish name of thomas collins the drink not the young gentleman nicholls had been living on tom collins for the last month and i instantly knew that i recognized a young friend from new york also my wits were at a branching of the road and i didn't know just what to do or say as jacob waited with easy courtesy for my decision and again i was too much perturbed for invention and had to speak out the truth i'm charlotte powers mr ensley and i came down to see your daughter martha i said looking directly into his clear friendly eyes which i saw instantly darken with the storm as the smile left his nice mouth and it hardened into a straight line i'm sorry miss powers but my martha ain't at home right now to you and i don't know when she will be is that all i can do for you these berries now from over at paradise ridge and with the ease of a man of the great upper world jacob ensley of the lower walks of life put me out of the door of his private life into the ranks of the meddler and shut it in my face i acknowledged to myself that my rebuff was justifiable and i was about to make an exit from the scene as gracefully as possible with a box of the really delicious berries under my arm when a cry of terror in a child's voice came from somewhere at the back of the grocery and together the grocer and i ran to see what the matter could be and at the heels of the proprietor i then penetrated the blind of the grocery and entered the last chance. End of chapter 11